Ephesians chapter 4, just making a big turn in the book. We're right in the middle. It's really a fulcrum here. We're going from uh, this whole thing about what God has given us in our salvation to what we should be doing as we walk with God. In 1937, a research team at Harvard University began a study named the Harvard Study of Adult Development. Sounds pretty exciting, I know. Their goal was to identify the factors that contribute to human well-being and happiness. And, and, you know, what did they know in 1937, right? The research team selected 268 men who were Harvard students who seemed to be uh, healthy and well-adjusted. This study was carried out over 72 years. They probably didn't all make it, you know. 72 years. This is called a longitudinal study. And the study tracked a number of factors. It included physical exercise, cholesterol levels. How did they know that back then? Marital status, alcohol use, smoking, education levels, and weight. It also included some psychological factors like how a person would employ a defense mechanism in challenging circumstances. Over the 72-year study, the research was directed by several different lead researchers. For 42 years, it was led by George Valiant. In 2008, as this reached the end, Mr. Valiant was asked what he had learned through this volume of research of the lives of 268 men over 72 years. Now, you would expect that it might take a long time for a researcher to explain the findings of all of this research. And here's, here's what his answer was. He said, the only thing that really matters in life are your relationships with other people. What do you think about that? Harvard University. The only thing that really matters is your relationship with other people. This is very insightful. You know, except for our relationship with God, I think the Apostle Paul might agree with this. Our relationships are really important. The kingdom of God is about people. The church is about people. The Great Commission is about people. God's love is about people. Jesus commanded his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples. It's about people. In Matthew uh, chapter 16, Jesus gave these words. This was uh, still early in his ministry. He says, on this rock, and he was just referring to Peter's profession of faith. His understanding who Jesus was, that Jesus was the Messiah of Israel. He was the promised one. Um, He was the one who would lead the way to God's kingdom. Uh, He says, on this profession of faith, and and for us, it's our profession of faith in Jesus Christ. He says, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not overcome it. Jesus said, I will build my church. That was a a promise he gave his followers. Nobody even knew what a church was when he said this. 
This is the first time this is used in the New Testament. He says, I will build my church. Church is about people. And this church that he was building is on a mission to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. Right now, Jesus is building his church. And um, it's, it's, it's exactly what he's doing today, and it fits uh, right with Ephesians chapter 4. So I'm going to invite you to be in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll look at the passage uh, this morning. We're going to cover six verses as we move into this uh, final section of Ephesians. And uh, the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called. One hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. First, our worthy calling on mission. We're going to see this in verse 1. Our worthy calling on mission. Remember our mission? Make disciples. And here's the context in verse 1. Paul begins, he says, as a prisoner of uh, the Lord. And remember Paul's in prison in Rome? We left him there in Acts 28. He's under house arrest. Why? Because he, he's been sharing the gospel because he's been on a mission to plant churches. And, um, he, and te- the Jews were upset with what he had to say. And, and he got arrested in Jerusalem. And he's, been, he's, he's set aside for four years of his life. And he's not a prisoner of the Romans in his mind. He's not a prisoner of the Jewish people in his mind. He's a prisoner of the Lord. It's the, God is the one who put Paul in jail. And he's okay with that. He's right where Jesus wants him to be to make disciples. Would you and I be okay with that? You know, we want to do this good thing for God. We want to serve Jesus. We want to make disciples. Our intentions are really good. And we get put in jail. Not just for, you know, 30 days or overnight. Week after week, month after month, seems like there's no end. Paul was a prisoner of the Lord. We see uh, the calling also in verse 1. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So remember the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters are about doctrine, teaching, really important. And the last three chapters are about duty. What are the implications? What are we to do? How are we to live? First three chapters are our position in Christ. The last three chapters are about our practice. The first three chapters are about our identity, our ID, who we are. And the last three chapters are about our experience, something we are supposed to experience. The first three chapters are about our standing before God. The last three chapters are about walking with Christ, okay? The key word here is worthy. I urge you, live a life. 
There's another key word here. It's live. The original word is walk. I like that word better myself, but it means to live. I like, I like walk because it's one step at a time. I can, I can process one step. And I also can fall down and I know to get back up. I can process the walk. Um, but he says, I urge you to live a life worthy. That word worthy means equal weight. And so there's an equal weight here that makes us worthy. And what is that weight? What do we have to measure ourselves with? And just a reminder, it's about the first three chapters of Ephesians. You were redeemed, you were regenerated, you were reconciled to God in the first three chapters. Um, It's about understanding that Jesus Christ died for you. He took your place, you and I deserve the death, and he died for us. He paid the penalty for our sins. We couldn't do it. Uh, We'll never be good enough to pay for and to cover our own sins. Someone in your lifetime shared the good news of Jesus with you. And you responded by faith. If you haven't yet, I want to encourage you to. When you responded by faith, you experienced, you were given forgiveness of sins. You were made a child of God and a citizen of heaven. Um. You were given eternal life. In fact, you were given every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. First three chapters of the book of Ephesians. How much does that weigh, by the way? Every spiritual blessing. How heavy is this great gift of salvation that you and I were given? Um, The Bible also says, uh, in uh, this whole concept is that you were baptized by the Holy Spirit. You were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit. He is given as your resource and guarantee. This is all about God's calling you. He called you through the gospel when somebody shared it with you. And when you responded, you were given all of these things as a gift. One, It's a total gift of salvation. All of those together make up our salvation. And now Paul says, live a life of equal weight. Worthy. Gosh, how are we going to do that? That's impossible. Yep, it is. It's impossible. And it's totally impossible without Christ. It's t- impossible without the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit empowers us, we can pursue a worthy call. We can pursue a worthy lifestyle. And that's what we learn here. Verses, verse 2, we see our worthy lifestyle on mission. So we have a mission. We're to make disciples of all peoples. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. This is how we're going to measure up. This is how we're going to be worthy of the calling we've been called. It's a way that we treat each other. It's the way we behave toward people. Um, we are to live in this, with the same attitude that Jesus had. 
And here Paul gives us four of what we would call Christian virtues. The first one is uh, humility, and it's about being humble. It's, an, it's not about being proud. When I, pride is being puffed up. It's, you know, it's literally the picture of having a big head. It's having a higher view of yourself than reality, a higher view of yourself than God has of you. The danger sometimes for Christians is to have too low view. And uh, humility is not thinking you're nothing. You need to understand who you are in Christ. What is your identity? He loves you. You're a child of God. You can be given eternal life. Your sins are forgiven. Why, why do you condemn yourself if God has forgiven you? Having an accurate, proper view of yourself. Um, humility is about putting Christ first, others second, and then me. Okay? Um, it's not false humility. False humility, it's not play acting. And it's done, the Christian virtue of humility or being humble is done only in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can act humbly, but it's not a spiritual fruit of growth, of God working in you. And it's about God working in you. The second one is gentleness. We are to be completely humble and gentle. This word is very similar to meekness. Um, and and it's, it means controlled strength. It's not about being harsh or rude. It's not becoming angry except for rare cases of righteous anger. And we, we Christians struggle with anger sometimes. And sometimes we think we're doing it with righteous anger, and sometimes that may be true. But sometimes it's not, and we are, we are confused. Um, be gentle. This is about being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Um, the third one is patience. It means to never give up. It means it in. It endures, it perseveres, it's long-suffering. It doesn't seek to have uh, its own way, to be patient. It's being, uh, it's self-restrained in adversity. It's easy to be patient when there's nothing pressing, when there are no challenges. It's easy to be patient when life isn't stressful. But patience is a the outgrowth of the Holy Spirit. And um, we have been given the resources in the gift of our salvation, part of being every spiritual blessing. We've been given the Holy Spirit to rely on and uh, to enable us, to strengthen us. Remember in chapter 1 and chapter 3 how much time Paul pray, prayed that we might know God's power? This is how it gets lived out in everyday circumstances. The fourth one is forbearance. Bearing with one another in love. It's putting up with one another's weaknesses and idiosyncrasies. It's putting up with imperfections and perfectionists. It's cutting each other some slack, showing grace. And all of this is to be done in love. And that word is uh, the Christian word for love. It really is. It's unique. It's not used much anywhere in ancient literature except in the New Testament. 
It's mentioned a couple of times. It's very rare outside of the New Testament. And it means sacrificial love. It's not romantic love. It's not sexual love. It's not friendship love. It is sacrificial love. Same kind of love that God has for you and me. John 3.16, for God so loved, same word, sacrifice. Um, And our relationships, our attitudes, our actions are to be done in love. It puts the other person first. And again, this is going to be impossible without the work of the Holy Spirit in us. I get really tired around people in my own strength. I get weary, want to quit, but with the strength of the Holy Spirit, somehow I can keep going and do the things that I need to do, the things that God wants me to do. I wish I always walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't always walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And please don't ask my wife when that is, okay? Um, this was really, really important to Jesus. He said this in John 13, 34, and 35. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. So this was like a new concept in the New Testament. It was... It was in the Old Testament, a little bit different, but Jesus is saying, this is new. I want you to pay attention. New command I give you, love one another. That's, that's that same word. It's sacrificial love. It's about putting the other person first. As I have loved you. That's the example. That's the model. Watch Jesus' life. As I have loved you, you must, requirement, love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What do we have here? This is Jesus' evangelistic plan. This is Jesus' plan to reach the world. It is in community. It's not you and God. It's not you and your friends. It's in community of the church. And this is a local church. It is one church in the city where there are many churches but if you look around, we're, we're, we have some like things that we are like, and we have some things that we are different. And when we put us together, we're, there's probably some rough edges that uh, make other people uncomfortable. For his, and the idea is we're going we're gonna to do this together. This is Jesus' plan for his church. We're going to do this together, and we're going to learn how to get along with each other. We're going to be humble about it. We're going to be gentle we're going to be patient with each other. We're going to put up with each other. And we're going to be on mission. We're going to make disciples. We're going to help people connect with God. This is the plan. There's not another plan where, oh, we'll go outside and we'll do it this way because we like it this way. God can bless that, but that's not, that's not going to attract people like the body who care for each other and are humbly serving each other and then reaching out to their community. Okay. And, you know, this whole thing about love, it goes against really our American culture, this idea of sacrifice. It goes against totally the grain of the American culture. We're told to be, you know, it's kind of, we, we kind of accept this 
undercurrent. We know what the Bible says, but we kind of there's an undercurrent that we should be happy. Uh, we deserve uh, the best. We deserve a break. We, we we should take care of ourselves, you know. And you know, I think I'm not trying to say we should not value anything about ourselves. Jesus said, uh, "Love your neighbor as yourself." And there, there is an appropriate self-care and self-love where you're concerned about your health. There's an appropriate care for your family. It's almost, a, if you read the rest of the New Testament, you're going to see Jesus is going to take care of your family if you follow him. But there's also, go beyond yourself to serve in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Thirdly, last point, our worthy focus on mission, verses 3 through 6. First, the pursuit of unity in verse 3. And, and Paul writes, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is important to God. I don't think the church itself is important to Christians in America today. I don't think it's very important. I just think it's, it's kind of a nice thing to do. And, and sometimes... You know, it's a nice place to volunteer. It's a nice place. Sometimes the church is viewed as a place to receive um, goods and services. Where it's, does it, how much does this benefit my family? Well, that's important. That it, the church should benefit your family. Um, you should be cared for. You should be loved. You should be encouraged. You should be nourished. You should be served. That's what it means to love one another. But there's also this loving one another that Jesus commanded is a very high commitment to each other. You know, the Bible says, Jerry loves Sue as Jesus loved the church. That's a pretty high commitment. It's the same word, high commitment. Sacrifice. Okay, make every effort, verse 3, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Here's the deal. When Jesus died on the cross and those people in Acts 2 placed their faith in Jesus, God immediately created unity in the church. And there is unity by structure and design in the body of Christ right now. There always has been, there always will be. God is the one who gave the unity. It's already there. Our job is not to make unity, our job is to keep that unity and protect that unity. Uh, remember in, in Ephesians chapter 2, chapter 3, the dividing wall has already been torn down. There were things that separated peoples. The dividing wall has been torn down, and there is a unity in the church where there's no separation, where everyone is welcome, placing their faith in Christ. It doesn't make any difference difference about skin color, educational level, backgrounds, sin involvement, doesn't make any difference. Everybody is welcome in the body of Christ when they place their faith in Jesus. And we're to make every effort. Um, and this is important to Jesus again, John 17, verses 20 and 21. This is called the high priestly prayer sometimes. John 17 is the longest prayer of Jesus. And we see what he prays for. He starts out praying for his disciples. 
those first century disciples. He shifts gear here and he prays for us. He says, my prayer is not for them, those first century disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And that got passed down to 1974 to me. People kept passing the message from generation to generation, and it finally got to me in 1974. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Jesus prayed for a oneness in his people, in the body of Christ, unity in the body of Christ. He says that they all may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So in the Godhead, when we talk about the, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there are three persons, diversity and unity, one God, a oneness. There is to be a oneness in marriage, two people equal, now one. There is to be a unity in the body of Christ. There is structural unity because of God, and he wants us to do whatever we can so that when we're doing things, we're doing things as a unit. When we're serving, we see ourselves as a part of this thing that's bigger than us. And uh, Jesus said that the world may believe that you have sent me. When there is love, in the body of Christ, and unity in the body of Christ, serving one another. It's it's sending a message to the world. To me, it's like an invisible, spiritual message attracting people to Jesus and his people. I don't always see it. I, I imagine in my own mind that somebody is telling a story um, about some event and it included like somebody from the bridge. If it's done in the power of the Holy Spirit, I just imagine that there's some kind of message that's, that this person can reject or not be interested, or this, this could make them curious. And when God is at work, I think curiosity is created, and people seek. They want to be around. They want to know. And their eyes can be opened. So, okay. Jesus has a high commitment to the local body. And uh, he wants us to have a high commitment. It's a high commitment to advancing the kingdom of God around the world. It's a loving loving attitude toward others outside. Think of of this. We have a church universal. We have the, the church universal is all those people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ from Acts chapter 2 until Jesus comes back. And he hasn't come back yet, and the church isn't finished yet, and so there's a lot of people who haven't come to faith yet. That's the church, church universal. So that would include, for sure, every world, right? This believer in the city of Eau Claire, in the state of Wisconsin, and in the U.S., and around the world, right this minute. There are local churches, and the bridge is what we call a local church. It's an expression of the big church. And we are to practice these things in our local church. But as we care about advancing the kingdom, we reach out into our community and we serve with other churches, 
like-minded churches who want to advance the kingdom. That's what we did yesterday. That's an example of what we did yesterday. It's one way we can do that. Um, okay, the basis of unity, verses 4 through 6, our basis of unity, and we have the Trinity. We have the Spirit, then the Son, and then the Father. First, the Holy Spirit. It starts in verse 4. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. This is all about unity. This is the basis for our unity. There is only one Holy Spirit. Okay? And this Holy Spirit connects the body. The Holy Spirit takes us out of the world and places us into the body of Christ. And we become united with Christ in the body. Um, we are members of that body. We're just body parts. But this, this body is alive. And it depends uh, how well it is depends on our spiritual individual health. Uh, the Holy Spirit indwells the body of Christ. The one hope, we have uh, one body, the body of Christ, one spirit, and just as we were called, one hope. And the hope is eternal life. There's only one eternal life. The gift of the Father, gift of God. And then, uh, verse 5, we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And so we've had the Holy Spirit. Now we have the Son, one faith, one baptism. The Son is the Lord Jesus Christ. There are not many gods and not many lords. There is just one, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. The one faith is our Christian faith. It's the body of truth. Separates us from the Old Testament. It includes Old Testament, fulfillment of Old Testament concepts, and revelation that was given in the New Testament. It's about who Jesus is and the implications for us and as the body of Christ, okay? That's the faith. There's only one, and there are not many. Um, and then there's one baptism. And of course, this confuses us as, as uh, Christians. Uh, what do you mean? There's all kinds of ways people baptize. This is about, as I understand it, it could be either one. It could be spiritual baptism, or it could be water baptism. I think it's about water baptism because it's listed with the Lord. If it was about spiritual baptism, it would have been listed with the Holy Spirit. Either one, they're about unity. So, either way. But here's what I understand about water baptism here. One baptism. It's because whether it was Jew or Gentile, first century, there was an equality among them. Anybody could be baptized and that showed their public connection with Jesus and his church. One baptism. We all go to the same. The, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Well, baptism is a picture of that. It's an outward expression of an, of an inward uh, change, transformation. And that was, that's God's plan. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Lastly, the Father of all, over all, through all, and in all. Verse 6. One God and Father, referring to uh, the Father of all, referring Father of all believers here. And he is over all regarding believers. He is in all believers. And he works through all believers. Our mission, just a reminder, 
is to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. We are on mission together. That's why we have been called. You know, it's not just about going to church and having a nice place to volunteer. It's about uh, being equipped and growing as Christ followers and then go out into the week and we serve and uh, we, we come back. It doesn't make any difference where we meet. We gather. That's what the church is about. And... Um, God has designed this church as a body. He, it's a living organism. It's alive spiritually and physically right now. And God's plan is we work together on mission. It is our purpose in life. The purpose in life is not to grow up and have a nice family and a nice job and a nice retirement purpose in life is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. It's why Jesus died, and he wants us to be in a relationship with him and a relationship with each other, and he's provided the strength and the resources we need to carry out his purpose, his mission. He wants us to do this together because he has made us better together. That's what Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 is about. Today, we're going to worship our Lord with a time of communion. We talked about one faith and one baptism. Communion is another way, another expression of unity. As a body of Christ, we come together. Here's what we all have in common. We're all sinners. Jesus died for all of us. We have that in common. We've placed our faith in Christ. We have that in common. And Jesus' plan is for his church that when we come together for communion, that we make sure that everything is okay between us and God. And so it's a time that we examine our lives, 1 Corinthians 11. And we allow the Holy Spirit to, to search our hearts. And if he identifies anything in our lives that we need to confess to him just privately, we confess that to God. We ask for forgiveness. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he, that is God, is faithful and just and will forgive us all of our sins. And um, that's God's plan for his church. When we are humble before God and we confess our sins, and it's my prayer that we'll want the Holy Spirit to empower us after we do this, attitude is Jesus. And we can go from here and be his church. So uh, let's pray. I want to invite those who are going to serve us to come up uh, during the prayer. And um, we're going to pray and just want you to take an opportunity to um, ask God to examine your heart. Let's, let's bow in prayer. God, we just want to thank you this morning for your church, the body of Christ. We want to walk worthy of the calling for which we've been called. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he paid the penalty for our sins. That he has forgiven us our sins. That he has made us children of God. 
that he's given us every spiritual blessing, that he's given us the Holy Spirit to live in us as a powerful resource, that he's given us the word of God so that we might learn and understand and grow. Thank you, God, for your thank you in our lives. Right now we pause before you and we, we thank you for this time of communion, the time to remember the death of Jesus. And so this morning we, uh, we want to first examine our hearts and just we want to pause before you. And God, it's my prayer right now that your Holy Spirit would be free to work in our lives, that our hearts would be open, that we would want you to look in. Show us if there's anything that we need to make right with you, to confess to you. If there's any actions that we need to do outside of this morning service. Ask God to show you, and if there's anything he brings to your mind, just confess that to him. That's, confession means to agree with God. Ask for his forgiveness. God, I'm so grateful that you've provided a way of forgiveness for us when, as Christians, we fail, when we sin, and you provide cleansing, and you purify us from all unrighteousness. Thank you. And now we want to thank you, God, for Jesus, and we thank you um, for his death on our behalf. We thank you first for the bread that we take this morning in communion as a representation of his body that was broken for us. And then we thank you for the cup that represents the blood of Christ that was shed for us, that paid the penalty for our sins. Thank you for the bread. Thank you for the cup that reminds us of what Jesus did for us. ...of the calling that you've called us with. For Jesus' sake, amen.